speakers of the Channel Islands Conference of the ELCA. That's code language for pastors and deacon and church leaders all the way from Santa Barbara down to Simi Valley. So we are glad you are here with us this day in worship. Uh, they, like us, are committed to serving a variety of communities. And one of the ways in which we can serve our communities is through the following announcement. Petra, I'm going to invite you to the pulpit. Make the announcement. Good morning. Hi. So um, today we are celebrating the Super Bowl of Caring. So through Campus Ministries, um, we are collecting donations for World Hunger, the ELCA World Hunger Program. Um, so Super Bowl of Caring, what this is, is a time to remember all the money that we spend on food and how much food we get to enjoy over the Super Bowl Sunday weekend and how there's people in the world who don't have enough to eat day to day or anything like that. So um, any change you have, any sort of change you'd like to donate, um, or if you would like to make a um, donation via your credit card, there are laptops in the narthex um, and bowls that we'll be holding. Um, so you go ahead and drop any, anything that you feel appropriate. Thank you so much. Thank you, Petra. Yes, it is Chinese New Year's. We celebrate the year of the rooster. There we go. Yes, it is Black History Month. Remember, honor well. Yes, I hear that we are about to get more rain. Pray deeply for that. We need to be refreshed by this particular gift. One who has refreshed and cared for this community has died. Christine Hughes, a librarian, employee for 11 years here at the university. Her memorial service uh, and announcement is printed on a little uh, folio card for you afterwards. Her daughter, Megan, thanks us for uh, being her friend here at the university for so many years, caring for her well, and, um, and, and put out a bold invitation to this community to join uh, their family as they remember her uh, at the memorial service. So just know you're all invited. With that, uh, we stand and uh, join in our morning invocation. Gather together. We know that we are thirsty people in need of life-giving water. Gathered together, we are loved by God, whose life-giving water nourishes our preached souls. People of God, welcome to worship, where you are known and loved. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, we find in you the deepest love that we can imagine. From you comes water that wells up to eternal life. You watch over and protect your people. As we worship today, steal from us our fears, our worries, and our secrets, so that we would take on the heart and mind of the servant you want us to be. Lead us, God, and by your grace we shall follow. 
Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Today's reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 7 through 29. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become them in a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has come now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked him, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? The woman left her water jar and went back down to the town. She said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? Here ends the reading. Lots of things have been said about this gospel story that we just heard. Much speculation about what it meant to have five husbands and one more. Does it mean these were just many men that she slept with? Or maybe she wasn't able to have children, so she kept getting divorced. Maybe there's some other reason why she goes to the well by herself instead of with the other women in the morning. And then there's this stranger, stranger to her, who comes to the well and asks her for a drink. A strange thing to do, and probably problematic for her, as 
the text points out, a Samaritan and a Jew, a woman and a man, probably going to be a problem for her. And all, that story, all of that makes this story end in a very strange way, that this woman goes back to her community at the very end, goes running back, and has had this brief conversation with Jesus, and what she proclaims to this community that has shunned her is, come and meet the man who can tell you everyone, I, everything I have ever done. Now, I don't know about you, but if I ran into a man who told me everything that I had ever done, I don't think the first thing that I would do is go running back to a community that didn't like me all that well <laughs> to make sure that they met this person. Except for this. There's something about having someone really know you and see you and understand all your faults and mistakes and places that you fall short, all the things that you hide from everyone, the places that you get stuck and repeat over and over again, the things that make you feel like you're not worthy of love or some position or friendship or being known. When you know someone who knows all those things about you and loves you anyway, there is never more of a feeling of being known and loved. And maybe having all of that does allow you to then go out, offer your best self to the world, and yell good news at people. I'm going to tell you a little bit about a story like that in my life, but on the way, I have to tell you about another strange way of being known and loved. And that's when you meet people who really don't know you all that well at all, but still feel like it's important for them to tell you that they're seeing something in you that they feel like they want to point out. So you can see, I'm a pastor, but I didn't choose to go to seminary until I was in my mid-30s, or consider such a thing. In fact, I thought it was a terrible idea, and I laughed loudly about it regularly, which I should have known was a bad idea from the story of Sarah and Abraham in the Hebrew Bible. <laughs> because all along the way, there were these people who would talk to me about being a pastor. One was this former nun who was the director of a retreat center that I used to go to. So I'd go in, run an event, leave again, see her in those times. And once she asked me to go for a walk with her, and when we were on that walk, she said to me, Holly, I've been wondering if you've ever thought about becoming a pastor. I can see a lot of gifts in you. And I laughed at her. I don't even know what reasons I gave her that day. I had a lot of them. But somewhere inside, this thing happens. For me, it happens just behind my heart. You get this feeling like, why does this person wonder this about me? Several years later, there was a woman who was a teacher of mine in college. And she and I would run into each other every other year or so. And during one of those times, she pulled me aside and said, Holly, this is my Ingrid imitation, I have been wondering why you haven't chosen to go to seminary and become a pastor. And again, I laughed. And I don't know what reason I gave to her that day either. But she said to me, well, I have always resisted the call as well, but I've always thought that you should go. <laughs> And there's more to that story for another time, but I got that strangely warm feeling behind my heart again and wondered, why does this woman always wonder anything about me? Why is she even spending time thinking about me? 
I was still laughing about it, and then there was a day when all of the reasons I had against being a pastor sort of fell to the wayside, and it became apparent that that was the thing I was going to do. And there's more to that story too, but I'll save that for another time as well. So now I have to start telling people about this crazy move that I'm making, sort of a coming out process of becoming a pastor. And one of the people I told was a boss of mine at the college that I was working for at the time. I told him the story that ended with, so I think I'm going to have to start seminary next year. And he slapped his table and started laughing and crying. And when he finally recovered, he said to me, I've been, that's it. I've been trying to figure out how to talk to you about going to seminary and becoming a pastor. And I knew that what you would say to me is that you feel called to do the work that you're doing and you don't need to go to seminary for that. And I couldn't come up with a good answer to that. So I just never talked to you about it. <laughs> but now I understand. Now I understand that you are called, you have been called, and now you are being called to something new. And again, that warm place behind my heart where I wonder, like, why is Bruce sitting around during the day wondering how to talk to me about becoming a pastor? But one of the bigger moments for me in feeling known and loved is when I went over to talk to my best friend, Angie. And Angie and I have been, we met in sixth grade. We're sort of unlikely friends. She has a lot of energy, and she's incredibly positive and warm towards everyone in the world. She is good. When we were younger, younger, most of the edgy or dangerous or risky things that she did were because of me. <laughs> Something that I talked her into that often ended in her crying and me rolling my eyes. Like the time <laughs> that we snuck out at Bible camp, and we had this whole story, you know, about periods and all that. And Angie is a person, one could say, who is without guile. So when we snuck out, we made it out of our cabin okay, but then she went over to the boys' cabin and knocked on the window, which woke up most of the cabin. I kind of feel like she must have wanted to get caught. Well, the counselors were very grave. They didn't buy our period story because it involved knocking on the boys' window. <laughs> Angie cried. I rolled my eyes. In any case, Angie and I have survived what every 30-year friendship has survived childhood competitions, other friends coming and going, times when you're close and times when you're not. I think one time in eighth grade, I slapped her across the face. I know, that's hard for me to say. I don't think I've ever done that to anybody else. And occasionally, I would go into her locker and steal her algebra homework and copy it. I think I had permission the first time. This is a girl who has known everything I have ever done. All the things that stay with you that you confess over and over again, all the pettiness, all the places that I get stuck and repeat that same behavior, all of my humanity. Our houses, before I left for seminary, were two blocks apart, so I'd go over there in the afternoon, drink wine and have cheese while she cut vegetables for her family. And so there was this day when I told her what happened and how I was gonna go to seminary. And she stops her chopping, and she starts crying again and says, I have wondered how loudly God was going to have to shout at you. It's a strange thing 
when you have this large group of unconnected people around you all wondering when you're going to figure out something that they've all figured out about you already, something about who you are called to do, be or what you are called to do. And the strange feeling for me resides somewhere behind my heart. And if you were to put words around it, it would be that feeling of being known and loved. Come and meet the person who has told me everything I have ever done. One last story about why I am here. Sometimes people around here ask me how it is that I chose to become the director of admissions up at PLTS. So I'll tell you. It was Christmas time three years ago. And as an alum of PLTS, I regularly got these emails saying that they were searching for applicants for the director of admissions position. This was a job I always wanted, but the timing wasn't exactly right because I was only about two years into my first call and enjoying the work that I did. But see, I had a father who'd always done admissions work, and so it was part of my DNA, dinner table conversation. I'm probably one of the only kids in the world who could tell you I played admissions director as a child. <clears throat> and my dad, as a donor, was also getting these same announcements in the emails. And so one day over happy hour during that Christmas, we had this very, very brief conversation that went like this. So I see your seminary is hiring a director of admissions. Yeah. I was thinking about applying for it. I wondered if you would. And so here I am. <laughs> I believe that God chooses to act in this world through all of us, sometimes in ways that we know and say yes to, and sometimes God uses us in ways that we may never know about. Who knows if Diane or Bruce or Angie or my dad even remember saying these things to me. But these people in my life are part of that voice of God that first made me feel known and loved and that led me to feel called out to being something new and honor that place that's been given to me in this world. So collectively, they make up the body of Christ for me that asks me for water at a well, names all these things about me, and compels me to proclaim, come and meet the one who has told me everything I have ever done. You probably also have these people in your lives who know you like that, know you and love you and can tell you more than you know about yourself. Pay attention to those voices. They may be the voice of God calling you both into yourself and out into the world to proclaim. Amen. Almighty and everlasting God, we thank you for gathering us together, for accepting us the way we are, and for showering your love upon us. We ask you to take our gifts and use them and bring your love and grace to all around us and indeed, to every corner of the earth. Amen. Amen.